0: He's a former police officer, working narcotics, undercover, the stress of the job, and extreme marital problems led to the end of his career when he was asked to resign. Now, his career has gone in a totally different direction. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. download our free app of all the radio stations in the united states there's only one show like ours the law enforcement today radio show and on facebook there's only one official page do a search on facebook for law enforcement today radio show that's law enforcement today radio show on facebook when you get there click like and follow The Breakout app is an audio networking platform and social networking app all in one. Breakout lets users listen in on live conversations or be a part of the conversation. Get it free with versions for iPhone and Android devices. You can download the app for free at the App Store and Google Play. Be sure to follow John J. Wiley, the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show and Podcast. Use the profile at L.E.T. Radio Show, or you can download the app for free at L.E.T. com contact from the state of Illinois. We have Michael Thomas on the phone. Michael is a very interesting story. He's a former police officer. He was asked to resign. So the term we use a lot is former, sometimes ex, when it involves criminal behavior. His was not involving criminal behavior. We'll talk about that in a moment. He worked undercover, went through extreme stress doing that, and really, extreme stress with his marriage which ended his law enforcement career here's where it gets really interesting michael's made some life changes and career choices that would astonish and surprise a lot of people michael first of all thanks for your service secondly thanks for being guest on the show very much appreciated
1: i uh, appreciate you thanks for having me jay i appreciate you man
0: and i'll, I'll give you a little shortcut right now michael is a minister He's also an internet radio personality and a podcaster. The name of shows show is called Night Moods. And look for more information online at newmillenniumfaithchurch.org. You know, Michael, one of the things, before we get into your police story, that a lot of people don't seem to get, and I, I've said this many times, I wanted to be a priest, a Catholic priest before I went into police work. I decided after high school the high school seminary that that vocation was not for me for many reasons uh-huh. and when i told my father in particular i want to be a police officer and why he kind of hit the ceiling he's like what they, they didn't come from uh, a law enforcement background but to me it's all about serving no matter what you went the other route you did police work first now you're a minister and a lot of people uh, i do you find a lot of people are shocked
1: <laughs> When when I tell my used to be in law enforcement, yeah, yeah, oh my gosh, yeah. Um, then they'll then I'll get. I can tell it in how you act that you have a presence. I'm like, yeah, it's you know, I, I grew up and liked what you just said. When I told my family I was going down to the academy, I got accepted um, as a police officer. Um, they like opened the doors and went through the roof. <laughs> yeah, isn't it crazy? They, they didn't get it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and to this day, and my dad passed away many years ago. He's a career Navy guy. He gets the service part of it. At that point yeah. get, But we didn't have a lot of law enforcement in our direct family. And I think they were more concerned, and my mom, who's still with us, she said she never slept a good night until I retired, mm-hmm. that... Mm-hmm. The, the stress, the fear, the danger is one thing, but the hours and the demands on family and mental health—even back then—they knew that it was a tough occupation.
1: Mm-hmm. It was. It was different. Policing was different in the '90s as it is today. And like what you said, similar stories, different avenues. Um, they were very uncomfortable. I was the first police officer in our family of three males, I'm the oldest one, and we come from a sports background, but I had on me this this, this uh, calling, and looking back now, it was God taking me through bridges, even though that was what I wanted to be. I remember when I was four, and we used to have these little kid books, and we would write our goals and, and what we wanted to do and what we would become. I remember in grade two, I wanted to be a policeman, but I spelled the name wrong, and so when I finally got to um, South, South, southern Illinois, it realized I'm, I'm actually fulfilling a dream of mine, but it was to help others. So they, they didn't understand it, um, being the first in the family, um, in the village of Roscoe, to effectively do something that I dreamed of being about. So I've always, I have always grew up on police shows, Starsky and Hutch, um, Chips, and something then, as a little boy, just took me down that avenue, and I really wanted to be, not just a play shoot 'em up but I really wanted to be effective with how to help other people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, look, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Michael. When I got hired by the Baltimore Police Department, back then, in 1980, it was different, in, in a lot of different ways. Yeah. But if you didn't have police experience or were a military veteran, you weren't looked at, seriously, by a lot of agencies. Baltimore was desperate, so they hired me. And when I got hired, I almost thought, wait a minute, am I am I a suitable candidate to do this? Am I tough enough to do this? I didn't really understand... People say this all the time. Well, they knew they signed up for I really didn't understand the amount of violence that does come with that job, where I worked. The amount of stress. Mm-hmm. I didn't get it. If I knew then, I'd probably still do the same thing. However... I really had serious doubts. Am I really qualified to do this? And they had a way of training you to become, I hate the term, the best you can be. But Mm -hmm. it wasn't just in the academy. It was the old timers. It was the people in the community. They all kind of taught you how to be a police officer. And back then, we didn't use the term community policing. We used everyday policing. Now it's a thing. And back then, it was just everyday.
1: Right. Yeah, I get what you're saying. For me, I was nervous you know, um, a military background in my my extended family, eleven uncles and aunts, and my dad not being part of any branch of service. But when I came into law enforcement, I came in from the Navy as well. But but I I I got extremely nervous and like what you just said, yeah, you had this reality check. I remember being at the gun uh, the gun garage and shooting a hole in the door. That's how nervous I was when they gave me my forty five caliber. And I was just nervous. And, you know, the instructor took me out, they called my PTO and it was one of those, you need to relax before you kill someone. You get kicked out of there. So I had this reality, like this is more than just a dream. This is real. You know, I'm, I am now being charged over a whole plethora of orders. And I got to get myself together. And I was like really nervous. I'm like what you said. I, I was going against, you know, crossovers, uh, coming from one department to another. And here I am, the 22 year old who's never held a gun, who's never had anything to do with law enforcement, whether criminal or, or, or whatever. And so this reality, like, this is real. Am I up to this challenge? I remember coming home on a weekend uh, on leave and like, I, chief, I don't think I want to go back. And he's like, well, what do you want to do? I want to be a cop. And so we'll get back in the car and drive back down. (laughs) So I, (laughs) that was for me, but like what you said, yeah, this reality of when you actually step and you're going through the training. And and then as you said, uh, in the village of Roscoe, it was then a community of about 7,000 people. So very small. And when you're a minority, you really stick out.
0: Yeah. That's something I I never thought of because I'm the typical stereotypical, what Hollywood portrays as a police officer. I'm, I'm a Irish Catholic kind of guy and I, i'm so fair complexed, i tell people i gotta wear sunscreen to look at postcards of the sun because i break <laughs> out and burns we're talking with michael thomas on the law enforcement Today show there's so many similarities and there's so many differences stick around we're gonna talk about working undercover how that stress impacted him and more we're all over social media be sure to like and follow our facebook page law enforcement today radio show We're on Twitter. Follow us at L.E.T. Radio Show Podcast. And on Instagram, look for L.E.T. Radio Show Podcast. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show click like and follow there you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show you can contact me we also find unique one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles that is our facebook page law enforcement today radio show be sure to click like and follow we'll see you there are you wondering where you can find
1: more great podcasts Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com.
0: Returning to our conversation with Michael Thomas on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Michael is a former law enforcement officer. He was asked to resign uh, after working undercover for a couple of years and he is now a minister is also an internet radio personality and a podcaster look at their website newmillenniumfaithchurch.org before we went to break michael you said something that i think really needs to be repeated you know i came from a navy background we did not have guns in our family i'd never handled a pistol before or a revolver before mm-hmm. i didn't know the first thing about them i i think i shot a, a 410 once in, in Boy Scouts and the 22 once in Boy Scouts. That's it. I didn't know. I was so uncomfortable. And even to this day, I'm not a gun collector. I'm not a gun nut. Right. I'm not a ballistics expert. I view them as a tool to trade and I have them, but it's not like it's, you said something a 45. I've had people get into long winded conversations about calibers and like, I'm like, I don't know. Like, how do you not know you're a cop?
1: I don't know. We carried a thirty-eight revolver. I didn't know anything about it. You know, I, I, I'm, I, it's like having this conversation actually takes me back to 96 when I was actively preparing to transition as a, a peace officer. So I had no background, and I, I literally was af- afraid of the gun. You know, if you're carrying that size of a gun, and, I, you know, I'm 5'6", and so it, it's, a, it's a heavy piece. And then you realize what comes out of the end of this thing could actually kill someone. So I had a, a, a crazy respect for the gun. At the same time, that respect was also a fear because I didn't want to mishandle it. And as we, you know, we came out of the fire range, I had the gun, you know, you have the gun down. And I literally was so nervous that my, I took my finger off the sight. And hit hit the trigger on accident, and I'm on the end of the gun range, and so the door, you know, you have these nice, massive steel, these steel doors, and it just blew, and it landed me back, and everyone immediately jumped, you know, you had the echo, and so I I literally like, Michael, I I can't do this, Master Sergeant, I can't do this, and so you know, they took me away, and he had to calm me down because my nerves, um. And you were but in yeah, the academy when that occurred? I was in the academy week seven. See, that's a
0: that's a career ender for a lot of academy people. And it doesn't happen yeah. often. But for you to even have a career in law enforcement after an accident of discharge like that is very, in my opinion, in my experience, very unusual.
1: It's detrimental. Um, my, my master sergeant, I remember that conversation. He's like, we got to send you, we got to send you home. You know, your, your, your mind's not working. You're, 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 I remember he said, he's a big guy and he was like six plus and full of muscles. And just, you know, he was your military grade Marine. And he just literally berated me and putting lives in danger. They said, there's something about you, but you got to go home, get your head straight. I'm gonna call your master. I'm gonna call your chief, your FTO. And, we got to make some decisions this weekend. You know, you're almost there. And I'm like, I know I was so distraught. I didn't you know, I, I apologized to the, uh, the rest of the cadets. And I got in my car and came back the, the, the next six hours drive north. And I was literally, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to do this? And that drive and talking to the chief when I came back from FTO was, you know, if you can't handle this, then we can't use you. But there's something about you. So they made their calls within that 48-hour period, and I was in the office with the chief, and he's like, get back down there. We'll make it happen. You make it happen. Don't make any, you know, but you make it happen. I got to so ask that's you what this. I, did.
0: I would have been sobbing on the drive home.
1: Oh, I was beside myself. You know, I had to keep it together because, you know, I was in the squad car coming back up. But... I was Dude, I, was I cried in police cars out. many
0: times. Uh, look, uh, people didn't see me cry in public, but that didn't mean yeah. in between calls I wasn't shedding tears in cars. Sometimes it was it's, really bad stuff. It's hard. It was hard. And you didn't have the benefit of a lot of support from your family. Uh, that's an overused phrase and term. My mom and dad, they're the best people in the world it's like okay once they got out of initial shock they're like do whatever you want to do we got your back we'll support you Mm -hmm. but it wasn't like i sought out this ever comforting blanket of support from them because they just weren't that kind of people and i don't know that that is a reality was that the situation for you did your family just say okay go for it
1: i couldn't bring the gun in the house so they had an issue when i would come off of my shift to pick up my kids, it was like my dad literally had to leave the house because he just they were just that nervous. Not because of they didn't know that I blew the gun open on the door at the gun range, but yeah, they 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 were like, no, bring, bring no guns in the house. To this day, they don't have any weapons in the house.
0: And I can understand that. I can understand that mindset. Mine's exact opposite. Look, Michael, something, and this I, I changed. Oh, uh, during my police career. And I got cut short due to active violence. I was in four shootings in a little more than 10 years. And the Mm -hmm. first two, I never fired a shot back. The last two were were life and death gun battles. They were no joke. However, and I paraphrase, and I'm going to say very short, but when the government says I have to allow sexual predators to live next door to me, and we have to allow that, I have a Rottweiler at home to make sure my wife is okay, and I've always got a loaded gun. Because Mm -hmm. I'm not a gun nut, I'm not a freak about it, I want to be prepared in case I need it because I've needed it before. And the yeah. here is, you know, one things that that people say, and they're allowed to have their opinion. They're, there's anti gunners, and they're 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 welcome. I have no problem with what they say. My wife, she would had someone uh kind of getting her a hard time. So well, your your husband's a retired cop, blah blah blah. Uh, guns, the guns are evil. Guns are this. Guns are that. And she said, well, the only reason my life my husband's alive today is because of a thirty eight revolver. And they had absolutely
1: no reply not one. Yeah. And they, they normally don't. It's, it's like, I use an analogy when you're playing football and you have those who've never played football, but they want to talk as talk about the game as if they played the game. It's the same in law enforcement. You know, we used to have a deal. I know when I was in the, the force, um, it was those who were in security that couldn't be law enforcement that wanted to be a law enforcement. They couldn't, it was just two different languages. Right. So it's just something for me where, you know, the house was protected. Um, I had, two massive dogs, Wolf and Huskies, um, other weaponry because I I was in martial arts as well. So, and where I lived, it was pretty much quiet. It's it's pretty much a a rural area where I lived. So back then it wasn't like it is now. We're gonna
0: talk about Michael's career working undercover because, and I'm as guilty as many other people, Michael, I think of Miami Vice. I think of what I see on television. The reality is, Far from that. I've had many guests on this show that have been, that are retired law enforcement that worked many years undercover, and they talked about the misconceptions, the stress, the reality, the the danger, all those other things, how it affects them. Uh, me, I worked undercover, not undercover. I worked plainclothes, narcotics for years. I was a surveillance guy. Good at that. Mm. Lousy at undercover. We'll explain the differences when we return. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show, we'll return to a conversation with Michael Thomas, former law enforcement officer, now minister, also an internet radio host and podcaster and more. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Have you ever wanted to listen to a favorite Law Enforcement Today episode again? Or chat directly with John J. Wiley? Now you can. Download Podopolo for free on either app store and send John J. Wiley a DM right on the app. That's P-O-D-O, P-O-L-O, Padopolo. We're all over social media. Be sure to like and follow our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. We're on Twitter. Follow us at LET Radio Show Podcast. And on Instagram, look for LET Radio Show Podcast. Of course, don't forget our website, LET Radio Show.com. See you there. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show, return our conversation with Michael Thomas, former law enforcement officer. Now minister, also internet radio host, podcaster. Look for his website, newmillenniumfaithchurch.org. Church.org. name of his internet radio show is Night Moods. And by the way, I met Michael in the Clubhouse social media, social audio app. So if you don't have that, check it out. Get it. It's free. And look for and follow me, John J. Wiley or at L-E-T radio show. Michael, your experience, your, your experience is unique it's from your perspective. There's a lot of similarities. I said earlier, I worked plainclothes narcotics for years. I was detailed the DEA. I really was good at doing that. What I was not good at was the undercover, trying to make buys, trying to be someone I wasn't. I always jokingly tell people, I could be 85 years old, shuffling through an old folks home with a walker, with a tennis balls and go Psh, five of those right there. I always looked like a cop. Uh, somebody tells me you did not. And you were actually the undercover guy, correct?
1: Correct. Looking back now, I realize it was my department that wanted me out of the department. I, I was full time worked shift for four days on three days off, three days on four days off, all that. Um, Master Sergeant Stingline had called Post 7 back then, and they were recruiting for a UC agent. And I was like, UC agent? Yeah, because, a lot, of people, like, what you a lot said, of
0: people don't know that means undercover agent,
1: correct? That's correct. Yeah. And I had the Miami Vice deal. Like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have a Ferrari. I'm going to travel around. <laughs> I'm going to do this. And it was farther from the – it was so far from that. I'm talking that's not even – that's like Pluto activity. This was the reality of it. It was going down to, we call it uh, District 16, is State Police. Uh, we have a headquarters out in, in North, Northern Illinois. And so when I got over to the village of Pecatonica, small Pecatonica village, and this fortress of the State Police Recruitment Center, um, that's where I got the reality of this is real and this is going to get very harrowing. And they created. The cool part is I got to see the back end of this because of being a UC agent. You know, here's my name, Quentin L. Williams. Um, You need to get your ear pierced. I need to do what? You need to get your ear pierced. Okay. And in about 24 hours, we're going to put you in to work. Where am I working? West side of Rockford. Rockford, Illinois. Um, You have training. Now, this is over a period of maybe two weeks at the most of this transition from patrol to, you know, growing a beard, um, scruffing up to go get your vehicle, um, have my first Mustang. Um, he told me, you're going to have an uh, unmarked unit following you at all times. So I'm thinking, what am I getting myself into, Master Sergeant? Never told me. But I played this role of Quentin L. Williams, had my ID, had all this. Um, they gave me a side piece, an uh, ankle holster, because where I was going into. Um, first case is Ray Villardi. Now, um, my, my day job was UC, which started in the morning in trash. So we would be in the backyards of alleys going through trash. And it wasn't quite the Miami Vice that no. I signed up for.
0: We did so many and, trash runs. That's how we got a, surveillance and trash runs is how we got most of our search warrants.
1: Yeah. And for me, I got to watch the surveillance and they would call me in, and we would drive in, and we'd go pick it in, pick it up, and, and we'd get back to D-16, and then we would go through this trash. And once we found something, then my first buy um, was with a cousin of Ray Now I mentioned Ray already because they wrapped him up and found him in a blanket and burned his body underneath the bridge. Blew my case out of the water. That case was over. So my second case was Horace Holman. I got to go back.
0: This, was, this is the caliber okay. of people you are investigating. People that yes. your your target was found deceased. He was dead. He'd been murdered and rolled up a blanket and set on fire. Yep. And here's a, that's the reality. What a lot of people don't seem to get, Michael, is the the amount of nerves that an undercover officer has to have to go into these situations you don't have police ID, you don't have this, you don't have that, and you're betraying someone else. By the way, I got my ear pierced as well. I had the thunderbolt. That was a long time ago, but it's nerve-wracking knowing you were dealing quite often with killers, hit yeah. men, armed people. Yeah. What's the old Warrens of song with lawyers, guns, and money? You always got all three involved. How did you keep mm-hmm. your calm? How did you keep your
1: cool? You know, looking back now, I say God, because for me, it was being in those places with real people who will flip on you in a minute and pull that trigger. Um, I kept it cool by just, for me, exercising. For me, it was being at my home and having peace in my home and just music and all these other things that I meditated on. And yeah, I would pray before all situations, but you just never knew back then. So that's, that's, I did the best I could with what I was trained to do, you know, for myself.
0: What I don't seem to get in there, you said it, I said it. Before we get into this, there, there were when I was a new officer, very young yep. on the job. We had a, a detective named Marcellus Marty Ward, and he was working undercover doing a controlled buy uh, with mm-hmm. the DEA in Baltimore. And they and he had the, the tape on the wire. The Hold on, yards, mm-hmm. and they they shot and killed him. Uh, and. and when they found out he was police or the police are outside the door. And his whole murder was caught on tape. And to this day, people I've worked with that were there have not been the same. I've become friends with family members of his and that's a a smear that's going to last on that city, that state, that agency, and that family for a lifetime. And this is what people don't seem to get. They use the term narc. Oh, he's just a narc, whatever, or the Paul Blorp cop, whatever it might be. Yeah, the, it's serious, no joke. Working undercover, it really can
1: be very, very, very dangerous. He was dangerous. Second case was Horace Holloman, uh, an older drug guy in the City of Rockford. Um, controlled by with him, first time had a a guy with me going up the, the back of the alley to his door. Um, he looked at me and he could sniff me out like number four. You're you're, you're a cop. You're wired. I'm like, holy smokes. Um, next thing I saw was a gun bill on my forehead. You know, prove to me that you're not a cop. And I had to go down to my training and showing him. you know, these are the guys you to walk with, you know, blah, blah, blah. For me, that was probably one of the most scariest moments of my life because I never thought I was going to make it out of the alleyway. I had my pinky on my little, they gave me a thumper to press for uh, the guy's, my surveillance and all those guys to come in the front to come in. But um, it was the guy that I was with that helped me out of that situation. That yeah, was, you know, you know uh, Quentin's good. You know, I've been rolling with Quentin for, for X amount of years. But when that gun, I didn't think I was going to leave the alley, to be honest with you. I thought I was over, you know, uh, for me personally. And that was one of the most scariest moments. And to this day, you know, after that, I came out of that um, unit I remember going to a, a hearing, and there was a guy in the elevator with me, and he looked at me. It just was weird, and I wasn't putting two and two together because back in my uh, uniform, I was um, with a couple sergeants, and he looked at me and he's like, "Man, I know you," and I'm like, "No, no, bro, you don't know me for anybody." And I realized this is cousin, and he kept looking at me weird, and we, you know, we got off, and I was so spooked. And I told my sergeant, and he was like, uh, best of hell in the case. I said, yeah, how's he in this elevator? And they were like, man, uh, we got to get out of here. We're just going to handle our business, and we'll, we'll get down and, and get out of here. But for me, that was the most serious episode as an undercover agent that I experienced uh, in the nine months as an undercover agent. And the fear is real. Um, you don't know. And you can just hope, wish, and pray that you come out of that situation or that your guys will, will come in the front door. Um, he was arrested because I was I was popping a thumper switch because I knew that by the time my hand would come off the thumper switch, I am I got a bullet in the head. It
0: doesn't take long at all. We're talking about Michael Thomas. There's so much more to talk about. we could talk about how the stress from his police career working undercover impacted his relationship and the stress that went through. That's amazing stuff. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. There was social media, and then there was social audio. Now the Breakout app combines the best of both. Best of all, the Breakout app is free with versions for iPhone and Android devices. You can download the app for free at the App Store and Google Play, or you can download for free at www.letbreak.com. The Law Enforcement Today Show. Return our conversation with Michael Thomas. Fascinating conversation. He's a former law enforcement officer, turned minister, internet radio personality, podcaster. Name of his internet radio shows Night Moods, and he can get details about everything he's doing at newmillenniumfaithchurch.org. dot Before we end the break, Michael, you're talking about th- that situation with the, the the cousin of a target in the elevator. And first mm-hmm. of all, the, the life and death struggle and stress is not lost on me. The The fear of not being safe anywhere, being recognized afterwards in an elevator is not lost on me. The meantime, while all this is going on, you, you're a married guy. You've got children, don't you? Yep, I sure did. And here's what a lot of people don't get. It is really hard to maintain a healthy marriage, a healthy relationship, I don't care what sexuality you have. It's really difficult to go through this all the time and flip a switch and be a husband. I I tell people, I didn't tell my wife a lot of things at the time, my first wife. And that's a big part of the reason why my marriage didn't make it was I didn't handle the trauma better. Uh, It's not all of it, but that was part of it. How would you describe trying to be an undercover agent, an undercover police officer, the stress, the anxiety, then coming home and being a husband and a father. How difficult was the transition for you?
1: Oh my gosh, how difficult was the transition for me because the hours I was pulling. Um, My wife being from the country of Sri Lanka didn't speak much English. Mother-in-law was in the house to help with the situation because I was forever gone. And I couldn't talk about what I was doing, I always had eyes in the back of my head, I was always on the phone, hey, I want to be here, is, is someone, my spotter going to be with an area. Um, I For me, my truth is I had conversations with a friend of mine and talking too much to my friend, female, caused me to walk out of the marriage. And so, with the... the so you, the, stepped,
0: you stepped out on the
1: marriage. Yeah. And and looking back at this, all these years, is and we talked about this before, the head spin, the psychological damage of when you're undercover, you're always with your head on the swivel. And there's areas of the city that I wouldn't drive in, um, where I lived out in the rural areas just because of what I was doing. And so I would not bring the business home, but I would take off and hey, I need to talk. There's something going on because there wasn't that connection with the friend at, through the marriage because I didn't want to bring all that home. Like, babe, you know, when you go out, make sure that you are doing two laps around the house. Make sure you go to go back here and and take the other way around to come to the home because we got people looking for me. Um, I, I didn't still bring to that
0: this, home. I still to this day, Michael, I've been retired a very long time. If I think someone's following me, I watch him and i, I Certain tricks and tactics I learned a long time ago that doesn't go yeah. away.
1: Oh, it never goes away. It it, it it becomes innate. And so, doing that, I did not value the communication or the understanding that my young wife would realize the depths of what I was going through. And so, it wasn't until that moment with that I know I, I didn't never drunk. I didn't smoke or do any of that stuff. I'd be at the gym, work, gym, come home, take care of the family. So that was my whole circuit. In that circuit, I infused communication. I didn't bring the communication home. Right. And so when she picked up and left the country, um, they took me out of my unit because I literally realized that my kids were never going to come back to America. And so I,
0: began, I don't want people to, to miss that part. Your your wife yeah. at the time was from Sri Lanka, and she yes. took off with the kids and moved to a different country.
1: Yes, came home to an empty house, couch, television, refrigerator was there. Had the waterbed in the back room. Um, it was dark. I, I remember running around the house like, oh my gosh, where are the boys? I remember calling them, um, FTO, my kids are gone. Um, He's like, slow down, calm down. And so that entire week for me was strange. I, I first knew I lost my kids. They took me out of the the unit because my head wasn't there. I, I became nervous and jittery because of that gun to my brain. Right. And so when they left, it was just all these little pieces. And my responsibilities that I didn't bring home that I forwent, and when my wife left, um, when they took me out of the unit, I could I, I wanted to become what my master sergeant was. I was beginning to like the every day of never knowing what the action was going to be. The action for me, meaning what was going to be the assignment. Right. So I wanted to climb the, the ranks, and I wasn't taking care of myself mentally. I remember um, coming out in December, right before Christmas, I called Paul, my, my FTO. I'm Like, I'm like, I'm here in the house. Uh, I'm, I'm not right, Paul. And he's like, Michael, what's going on? Because Paul and I were tight. I said, I, I can't do this. My kids are gone. I lost my position. And he was like, Michael, you can always transition back. But right now, your head's not there. And he's like, where you at? What's you doing? I said, I have the gun here. And I remember this. It wasn't like something I watched on that movie, because you hear those when guys are just going through head I can It's just like you just literally, when you see your life unraveling, you you it takes you to dark places.
0: Yeah. And well and I always say this it's a very short trip. It's a very short trip to, to ending it all uh prematurely because the
1: gun's right there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So pacing, rolling around, doing circles around the gun like, you know, having a conversation with my history with the gun. Paul comes knocking on the door, comes in, and sits down, Michael stand back. And we just had a conversation. If it wasn't for Paul, I wouldn't be here talking to you. I'm so glad you brought that up.
0: One of the things that people, and I don't talk about religion very often, but Mm -hmm. one of the things that that I believe is that uh, there's no such thing as coincidence, and a lot of these people are are God's angels, and they come into our lives at just the right moment when we need the most, say the right thing, and some of us are very fortunate. There's others, they don't get that opportunity. right? Um, and, And so many people have ended their lives in law enforcement because they have post mac stress related symptoms, substance abuse, marital problems and or job related issues. You had everything but the substance abuse. Mhm. And for quite a, for so many of them, it becomes a bridge too far and they they end their lives. And it's been epidemic since before I was a rookie. It's not new. Right. And I'm so glad yeah, you're I- here to talk about this. I because I think we need to say you went from this dark spot of being suicidal. You were asked to leave the job. Your yep. your wife was gone out of the country with the kids. You were not going to be seeing them. We could have a conversation about that for the last hour. I and know, right? Then you are left to the choice of, okay, what do I do now? Who am I going to be now?
1: That took a couple of years. Because I had to literally um, be pretty benevolent hooked me up really well i was with the catholic church uh with Teresa parish she was awesome she was god sent to me she was not just a social worker a clinician she was there on the spiritual side to help me deal and battle with who i was and the hopes were triggered from the whole situation and through those couple of years and those are dark times you know the, when i was in law enforcement the coming that 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 Transition bridge that I God would bring me out of that. I thought those are dark times, but coming out of it it got even darker.
0: Yeah. No, I I, um, I, I get that. Re rebuilding so your took- life or building a life afterwards. That's like my career is over and I was thirty three. Like, what are you gonna do now?
1: Yeah, I miss law enforcement. I want to be, you know, uh, I, I I was on patrol, got off my twelve hour shift January first, nineteen ninety eight. Police uh, chief Lee met me in the, the, the squad role, and I'm like, whoa, he's here early. Um, he's like, I need your gun. I need your badge. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, you're, you, you're a liability to the force. I didn't understand it. I was I think I was coming back out of it, and we sat there in argued. It was the first time that I began to yell at my commanding officer, like lose it, yelling, like, you can't take my badge. This is my life. Right. My kids are gone. You don't understand, blah, blah, blah. He's like, if you don't leave. If you don't leave, I will fire you. So, what do you mean by leave? So if you don't retire, I'll fire you, and you lose your benefits. And I had no choice. He's he's sitting there, and Paul came in.
0: Are we am going to cut you off because we're out of time. I want yeah. people to go to your website, get more information, and we'll have you back in the future. What is your website? Very quickly.
1: NewMillenniumFaithChurch.org. dot O-R-G.
0: There you can find out more about Michael, his uh, amazing journey. And Michael, thanks for being a guest on the show and sharing your story. Very much
1: appreciated. Thanks for having me, Jay. I appreciate you, my friend.
0: I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.